I have been doing Easter sermons for a while now. This is our first year in now as Mosaic, uh, but not my first time around preaching Easter sermons. And I always on Easter, I want to give you more than a head-nodding sermon. I want to give you more than a, oh yeah, Jesus rose from the dead, cool, we know that, you know, let's go home and, and eat or, or do whatever, you know, Easter stuff that we do. So God put a message on my heart, and it's a, we're going to look back into Jesus's life. We're going to look back into his biography of his life. It's not necessarily about when he rose from the dead, but I like to start with this picture of the empty tomb as a reminder for us on Easter that Jesus conquered death, y'all. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered Satan. And so when we read back into the Bible, open your Bible and read the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are biographies of Jesus' life. Everything that he was doing, people around him didn't know yet that he had conquered death. People around him didn't know yet that he had conquered Satan. We know that. And it gives all these other stories and teachings an incredible amount of authority in our lives and in his life. It's, a, it's what allows us to be resurrected. It's a, what allows us to have eternal life. And so we're going to read this sort of authority, this finality into a story that, a, a teaching of Jesus from his, from his life. Uh, I want to give you this quick stat. About 33% of people report feeling extreme stress. You may be like, I'm one of those 33%. Up to 73% report that stress impacts their mental health. Now, this is not a self-help sermon, but we're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew 11 today where the way people viewed God and the way they viewed religion, uh, it, it actually really contributed to their level of stress. And I think the way that we view God and the way we view religion has a lot to do with if we are able to rest in God or not. Now, when I say rest, we're going to be talking about rest today. I'm not talking about sleep. Uh, I, we, sleep is good. Sleep's really important, but I'm not talking about sleep. I need a little more sleep right now. We drove through the night two nights ago uh, from Florida to here. Yes, like through the night. We got in at 6.30 p.m. last night, and so uh, praise God, we're here and alive, and if I look a little tired, these are not both filled with coffee, by the way. One of these is water, uh, but I do need a little extra sleep right now. Sleep is important. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about rest today, I'm not talking about watching television, vegging out on TV. I think that's normally what we think of rest just going to go veg out. What we think of rest often is this numbing. We're numbing out rather than a deep soul level rest that Jesus wants to bring to us. So this passage is Matthew 11, 28 to 30, and it's at the end of Matthew 11. When, when we jump into the sermon, we're going to walk through the whole chapter to lead up to this pinnacle point in the teaching. But I want to start you out with the pinnacle to get you thinking about this invitation that Jesus has for you today. So you may have been invited here by a friend or invited here by a family member. Well, guess what? Jesus himself, the living God, the resurrected Savior, is also inviting you to something. Don't you like to be invited to things? It makes you feel special. It makes you feel important. I was invited to a banquet. I was invited to a birthday party. Jesus is inviting you to this invitation. He says, come to me, all who are weary 
Are you weary? And burdened. Are you burdened? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to ask you an honest question. Don't answer this out loud. Just in your heart of hearts, do you believe this is true? Do you believe that this is true? There's been many times in my Christian life as a pastor where I have not believed that this is true. I literally go to God, and I, in my time of prayer, we just did a whole series on prayer. You can talk to God like this. The Psalms do it all the time. And I say to God, I don't believe this. I'm not experiencing this. You say, come to me and I'll give you rest. And I don't feel rest right now. I've confided that before God. I've confided that before counselors and therapists and mentors. Like, Jesus, it feels like you're lying here. You say, I'm going to give you rest. Where is the rest? It might sound scandalous that I'm saying that. How could my pastor say that? Well, I'm, I'm not alone in this. What we're going to look at today is John the Baptist felt the exact same thing. In Matthew 11. John the Baptist, we're going to get to that as we jump into the sermon. If you're new to Mosaic, we like to take two breaks during, the, uh, during our service. You already had one. You got to know if people wanted to be what, a, a, a better dancer than a, a dancer who couldn't sing or a singer who couldn't dance. Well, we also like to do a more serious round of discussion as we begin the sermon. Uh, we're not going to make you ask, answer anything um, that makes you feel uncomfortable, and you don't have to know anything about the Bible. But just to get you to start thinking about uh, the topic that we're talking about in our sermon today. So the first question is, why are people in our culture so stressed out? Whether that's you or not, I think we could all agree that our culture is pretty stressed. And then number two, why is it hard to find deep experiences of soul rest? So you have six minutes, and if you're in one of these large groups and you want to join our far side of the road, the far country over here, uh, you're welcome to come over. We have lots of seats over here, and, uh, but, but do whatever you feel comfortable with, and we'll come back up in six minutes, and we will pick up uh, the rest of the sermon. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it. We're going we're gonna to walk all the way through Matthew 11 today. If you, we're going to have the verses up on the screen, so you can read there. Uh, you can also feel free to pull it out on your phone, uh, your phone Bible, or if you have an old school museum relic uh, paper Bible, these are gonna be worth money someday. Paper Bibles, uh, you can you can pull it out. We're gonna go we're gonna go through Matthew 11, um, and and so Matthew 11 ended with Jesus making that beautiful invitation to to all of us. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and, and I will give you rest. I want to look at how this chapter begins. It begins with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is in prison, okay? He is in prison. And John the Baptist, let's read in verse 2. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, that's Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, why might John, who is in prison, be asking this question about Jesus? He's asking this question because he is in prison. Okay, you, you, you may have heard of John the Baptist before. Uh, he is the prophet in the New Testament that was prophesied that would come and declare that Jesus is the Messiah. So John the Baptist has done his whole earthly ministry. 
He's done all the, the lines he's known for. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's come and publicly told everybody, this guy Jesus is God. This guy Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's the one that the whole Old Testament is pointing to. And where does he find himself? In prison. You think that's how John drew it up? You think when, when John thought, oh, cool, God, you're choosing me to announce that Jesus is the Savior of the world, do you think he thought he would end up in prison? No, that is not how he drew it up. The reason his, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one? Is because he's, he's invested his whole life his whole credibility on Jesus being the one, and the fact that he is in prison is enough for him to go, I don't know if he's the one, because this isn't how I drew it up. And I want you to ask yourself that question in your faith with Jesus. Wherever you're at with Jesus right now, do you have unmet expectations with Jesus, where you look at your life and you go, God, this is not how I drew it up. And you're offering me rest, and you're offering me this invitation, and you, but you have not met my expectations. This is where John the Baptist finds himself in prison. He's, he's legitimately asking Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Because I'm not really sure that you are. I think of unmet expectations like a gerbil or a, a hamster on a hamster wheel. The hamster's running and running and running and running and running, but never getting anywhere and running, and running, and running, and running, and running. This is how I experience my expectations in my life. Because you have an expectation, and let's say that it gets met. Let's say you get what you want. Well, what, what happens next? You have another expectation, right? And let's say that it gets met, and then you have what you want, and then you have another expectation that doesn't get met. Or the one that isn't met, you just run, and 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 you say, God, if you do this, fill in the blank. I want you to picture what's in your blank right now. What is your unmet expectation? God, if you do this, then I'll believe in you. Jesus, if you do this, then I'll believe that you're real. Then I'll commit my life to you. If you do this, fill in the blank. And you're running and you're running and you're running. And it never really ends. There's no rest. This is a not restful picture to me of the hamster on the hamster wheel. Because when we're living out of our unmet expectations, it's never enough. The key of rest is that it's enough. We have enough and we can rest in what is. Unmet expectations, there's never enough. When Jesus was on earth, think of all the healings he did. But he could have healed more, right? What if you were the next person in line to get healed and Jesus was like, all done for the day. Be like, come on, man. Like, I, I just, just do one more. Just do one more and then I'll believe that you're the Messiah. That's what we do to God all the time. Just do one more and then I'll believe that you're the Messiah. Could Jesus have gotten John out of jail? Yes. Guess what? How, you know how John's story ends? He gets beheaded. He gets decapitated by Herod. It didn't end well for John. So John is at this place of saying, if you could get me out of here, then I'd believe that you're real. I think many of us can relate to that. Here's what Jesus replies to John's disciples. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So this is an impressive list. This is, I don't have this on my resume, right? This is a pretty impressive resume. Jesus says, go tell them all this stuff. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. I mean, John should be impressed with this. But you know what John's saying? You know one more thing on this list? I'm still in prison, right? Like, that's great for the person who can walk, and I'm still in prison. So are you really real. I'm about to get beheaded. We love this list. We love it, don't we? This is a great list, but we also want our thing added to the list for us to fully commit to trusting in Jesus, for us to fully committing that I'm going to be able to rest in Jesus. I got to have my thing added to the list. You're not immune to this. I told you I struggle with this. I'm not immune to it. John the Baptist, later in, the, in, John, in Matthew 11, it says he's the greatest I'm paraphrasing, the greatest born among women, okay? That's a, that's a pretty large group of people. The greatest born among women, John the Baptist. Here he is doubting his faith in Jesus because of his unmet expectations. We're going to skip over verses 7 through 15 where Jesus is talking to the crowd. He's hyping up John. He's saying John the Baptist is this prophet that came to announce that the Messiah is here. We're going to skip to verse 16 if you want to skip down uh, into your text. And the backdrop here of unmet expectations, the hamster wheel, we started with John's unmet expectations while he was in prison. And now picture Jesus talking to a large crowd. And now he's talking to the crowd and to their unmet expectations about specifically John himself and Jesus himself. Here's what he says, and then it's, it's confusing, and then I'll try, to, I'll try to explain it. Verse 16, he says, To what can I compare this generation, this crowd he's talking to? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. Quote, We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came, that's a word for Jesus that he uses for himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Now, what's going on here is the crowd has rejected both Jesus and John the Baptist, but for opposite reasons. And so I I want you to, to... uh, let, let me explain verse 16 because it's, it's kind of confusing. Um, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. What he's saying is that when the joyful music was played from the pipe, picture whatever that would be, you know, <laughs> you're doing this pipe music, you should be dancing to the pipe music, right? You should be dancing. Jesus came eating and drinking. Hey, let's party. I'm here to be your friend. <laughs> and they're like, You're a glutton and a drunkard, Jesus. You can't be the Messiah, right? They rejected him. They should have been dancing, and they they didn't. That's, That's what the first part of it means. The second part, we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. There's a time for mourning. John came, and that that dude was eating locusts and honey. He was dressed in camel's hair. I mean, that's a weird dude, man. He, you don't go to a party with John the Baptist, right? He was like the most religious the most, uh, just, he, he, was, he was the most religious, law-abiding prophet that you possibly could have. And instead of being accepted for that, you know what these same people said? You have a demon. 
You have a demon. So they played the music for the funeral, whatever the dirge would be. You should be mourning. And they're like, yo, this is, get out of here. You're a demon. Get out. Get out. Jesus says, you missed it. You missed it, okay? That's what, the, that's what that phrase means. That you didn't dance to the right music. You missed the message. And what's really interesting, what these people remind me of, and I say these people, but, man, I find myself in their shoes so often. It's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You remember that story? And, and Goldilocks goes into the house, and she says, oh, what was it? Like, you know, this, this bed, it's too hard. I can't sleep on this bed. It's too hard. And this bed over here, it's too soft. I can't sleep in it. I fall, I just fall into it like a big taco. I just, I, I can't get out. Oh, but this bed in the middle was what? Just right. Just right. Well, these people didn't have a just right. That bed is too hard, and that bed is too soft. That porridge is too hot, and that porridge is too cold. There's no just right. Do you know anyone like that in your life? Where whenever you're around them, and be honest, is that you? Is that you, right? This is to this, and that is to that. It's like, you got anything in the middle? Like, are you ever happy? Are you ever at peace? Are you ever at rest? These people rejected Jesus. He's a party animal. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He doesn't follow the scriptures. Well, what about this guy? He follows like all the scriptures. He has a demon. Well, okay. Well, I guess, that I guess that's the end of that conversation, right? You know how many churches today would reject Jesus if he came today, by the way? If Jesus showed up today in 2023, do you know how many Christians would reject Jesus today? How many churches would reject Jesus today? Hold on. Let me gather myself here. I got to decide if I'm going to go way off on that soapbox right now, Victoria, or not, okay? <laughs> right, Dennis? I mean, I'm telling you, if Jesus came today, he would be unrecognizable. You know how many people would say to Jesus, you're a glutton and a drunkard, Jesus. You hang out with sinners, Jesus. You hang out with the poor. You hang out with gay and lesbian and bisexual people. You, you hang out with this, the tax collectors. You, you're out there with the prostitutes. You're out... You don't vote the way we vote, Jesus. You don't, you don't, you don't align with us, Jesus. You don't align with, with our political ideologies, Jesus. Get out of here, Jesus. You don't match our version that we've created of Christianity that serves us. You mean, you think people are equal? You think racism is actually a problem? Get out of here, Jesus. We would never admit that because we sing the Jesus songs and we believe in Jesus. But I'm telling you, the religious people today rejected Jesus because he made the kingdom available to everybody and he loved everybody. And the people he yelled at was the religious people. We have to be really careful for those of us that would consider ourselves religious people because we're the ones that Jesus yelled at because we, they created this version of their faith that only perfect people could enter. Only perfect people could enter first century religion. That's the total opposite of the gospel. That's why they called him a glutton and a drunkard, because of the way he did his ministry. All right, so when you're a slave to these unmet expectations, when you are Goldilocks, but there's never, there's never a, uh, a middle ground of just right, not that it always has to be in the middle, but this idea that something is good enough for you, this is, what, this is inevitably what happens. You, you end up rejecting 
the invitations that are given for you. We focus on what isn't rather than what is. So I want to bring it back to our lives, to our walks with Jesus, our struggles with rest. My struggles with rest usually have to do with me focusing on what isn't. Right? Am I the only one? You know, this is life, right? And these are serious things. These aren't small things. I'm not saying they're trivial. These are big things. These are big things. God, I don't have this thing, and I need this thing, and I'm in this pain, and I'm focusing on what isn't rather than focusing on what is. Rather than focusing on the gifts of grace and mercy that Jesus has given to me and to you, which is the path of finding rest in Jesus. All right, verses 20 to 24, we're going to skip. Jesus talks about judgment on these towns. He names specific towns. They saw all these miracles. They saw all these miracles of Jesus, but those miracles weren't enough. I've said that to God before. If I could just see a miracle, that'd be enough. If I could just see like one of those real New Testament wild and crazy miracles, God, that would be enough. You know what the people said who saw those wild and crazy miracles? It's not enough. We want to see another miracle, God. The people that saw all the miracles, you know what they said? I want to see one, another miracle. And then it would be enough. So this is, he's, he's calling these towns out. You saw all these miracles. And then he says in verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Okay, this is where rest begins. He starts talking about revealing these truths to little children. He gives the crowd this backhanded insult. (laughs) He's like, he says, you've hidden these from the wise and learned. He's like, oh, you're so wise, crowd. You're so learned. You know so much. You know so much about God in the Bible. That's, oh, wow. These things are hidden from you. You're so wise. You're so learned. You know it all. You don't need Jesus because you got it all down already. (laughs) He says, but he's revealed them to little children. Now, Part, uh, my, my children are 11, 9, and 5. Uh, they're going on uh, 15, 13, and 10, right? That's how it feels, right? <laughs> so my 11-year-old turns 12 uh, later this year, November. That's scary. Got middle school coming up next year. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but part of American childhood and adolescence for all of us is that nothing is good enough right? Picture back to your childhood. If you have kids, some of you are sitting next to your kids, uh, no elbow, you know, bumps or anything like that uh, in the ribs. Uh, Nothing's ever good enough, especially when it comes to uh, technology, right? When it comes to technology, nothing is ever good enough. Uh, My 11-year-old, she does not have her own phone. She really wants her own phone. She asks every day if she can have her own phone. No, you cannot have your own phone. And then I tell her, see, I am the king of old tech, I'm the king of old technology. Just ask Bryce. He's, he's out there working the, uh, the kids' uh, check-in. We traveled to Boise together for a conference. And, and uh, see, my, my technology, I buy it all used, so I get it for half off. So it has about half the battery life as the normal technology should have. And I am just fine with that. I am totally just fine with that. I mean, everything I buy, I get half off, and it works about half as good. 
I am totally good with that. And I told my daughter, I said, you're going to get an Android phone when you get, when you get a phone. I don't want an Android, I want an iPhone, because iPhones are cool. And I'm like, I don't care if iPhones are cool. Uh, I can monitor what you do better on an Android. If you want to know that, parents, come talk to me afterwards. I can see everything you do on that phone and everything all those little friends of yours are doing on your phone. Uh, that, that's how we're going to roll in our house. And it's not good enough. She is not happy with that situation. So just brace yourself. Just brace yourself. So, but there's a window of parenting, and you guys know what I'm talking about. To me, it's the ages of one and five. Five, it starts to kind of fade out and twitch out a little bit. But there's this magical age of children where there's joy in simple things. Have you guys ever experienced that? There's joy in simple things. Okay, so I want you to picture the, the phone conversation with the almost middle schooler, and, and then I'm going to show you a video here in a second, and this is of my youngest, Brooklyn, she's five now, this is when she was like one and a half, between one and a half and two, we just moved in, in and we, there's boxes behind her, and she's, I'm going to tell you what you're going to see, she's holding a phone case, okay, so she's holding this part of a phone, <laughs> Okay, and she's, my wife is doing the video, and she's talking on the phone to Mama and Pappy. That's my wife's parents, okay? So you'll hear us say Mama and Pappy. And she's just having a glorious time holding her phone as she talks to Mama and Pappy. So let's just watch for a few seconds here of Brooklyn. Who are you talking to, Brookie? I'm Mama. You're talking to Mama? What's she saying? Happy. She's happy? Yeah. Are you happy too? Mm -mm. I'm happy, happy. Pappy's happy? He eat it. Okay, talk to me and I say hi. Hi. <laughs> I love the giggle at the end. Uh, she's talking to Mama. Mama's happy. Pappy's happy. Brooklyn is happy. All because she has one of these in her hands and, and thinks it's a phone. A child, a young child, remember back to our text, Jesus says, I revealed this to little children, little children. He doesn't say I've revealed it to middle schoolers, okay? I've revealed this to little children. A child cannot understand everything. They don't have to. A child that age doesn't even know the difference between a phone case and a phone. They don't have to. All they need to do is know that mom and dad are there, or mom or dad are there. In this case, it was, my mom, it, was, it was my wife. All they need to know is that mom or dad are there and love them, or that their guardian is there and loves them. And for some of us, we experienced that as children, and for some of us, we didn't. And for some of us, as adults, we get the opportunity to redeem that experience for our children to be the mom or the dad that loves a child and that is there for a child. And that's enough. That's enough. That's where rest comes in. Do you think my child, Brooklyn, would have had more happiness if she had had an iPhone 14 in her hand versus a phone case? No. But imagine if she was in that house alone without my wife there. She, she would have a right to, to be terrified, to not have rest, to not experience rest. 
So there's no coincidence here as Jesus is teaching us about rest and he says, I've revealed this to little children, that he starts talking about his relationship with God the Father and God the Father's relationship with him. He says in verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and to those to who uh, the Son chooses to reveal him. We learn about Jesus' relationship as God within the Trinity. We sang about that earlier, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we learn about it in different portions throughout the New Testament. Uh, we have other passages in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, he and the Father are one. That's John 10, 30. John chapter 1 talks about God coming in human form in a way that we can understand him. God came to earth so we could understand him. John 14, 9, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here in our text, as he leads into rest, he says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He's tapping into his authority, the authority of God the Father. We're tapping in today on Easter Sunday, Jesus' authority of conquering death, conquering the empty tomb, despite the blank that we still have, the blank that is yet to be filled in. Here's our pinnacle text. With all of this as the background, remember the backdrop, unmet expectations. John's doubting if Jesus is really God. The crowds have rejected Jesus. The crowds have rejected John the Baptist. And he says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The crowd is literally pointing at Jesus saying, it's not enough, I need you to do more. Many see religion that way. It's never enough for God, it's never enough for my church, it's never enough for my parents, so why even try? And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's talking to the people that rejected him. He's talking to the people that have these unmet expectations of him. And he's saying to them, stop trying to find rest in your blank. John, stop trying to find rest in getting out of prison and find rest in me. Find rest in the relational Jesus. God who came to earth with the authority of the empty tomb behind him. When he says the word yoke, he's referring to one of these. Yoke were put on oxen. Rabbis had yoke in the first century. This would have been familiar language. A yoke was the piece of wood over the two ox where they would plow a field together. It's a symbol of servitude, of obedience. But Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. My burden is light because I do the work. I'm the one that died for the sins. You don't have to do that. I did it for you. And as I was looking at this text, I thought, we're all yoked to something. You might be like, I don't, I'm not yoked to anything. I'm my own person. You're yoked to the philosophy that you are your own person. You're yoked to the philosophy that you don't need God. Your God is your thought that you don't need him. Your yoke could be a sin addiction that you have. It's what you go to to find rest. We are all yoked to something. 
I just briefly want to go through these yellow words and see which of these words you resonate with as we look at this invitation that we have from Jesus. Are you weary this morning? Are you burdened this morning? When Jesus says, I've come to give you rest, does that resonate with you? When you think of God, and here God is in human form, so we can relate with him, and he says, I am gentle. I'm gentle, and I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is saying, look, you do not have to jump through hoops to get to God. We, 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 we often pick that up from church. Jump through all these hoops, and then God will love you. Jump through all these hoops, and then God will approve of you. You don't have to jump through hoops. His yoke is easy. But within this whole chapter, I think Jesus is also saying, but don't make me jump through hoops for you. I'm not, I'm not a circus dog. I'm not one of those seals at SeaWorld. Don't make me jump through hoops for you. Let this be enough. Let the empty tomb be enough. His invitation to us is, will you be my little child? Will you be my little child? Today on Easter Sunday, can we look at the empty tomb and say, Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over Satan. I will spend eternity with him if my faith is in Jesus. But he also has authority today. And I can rest in him despite that blank in my life. Despite the one thing that I go to God with and I say, God, do this for me. And he hasn't done it. But I can rest that Jesus is enough. That his love for me is enough. Like my one-year-old daughter holding up the phone case. And let that be enough. That we are in the presence of Jesus.